Today, we get to finish up Genesis. Friends, if you have been reading along with us through the Immersed Bible, you have spent the last four weeks reading Genesis. And I am so excited that you got to spend time in the stories that were so formative to our ancestors' faith and formative to ours. I spent some time this week thinking to myself, what would it have been like for Jesus as a boy? You see, what would it have been like for Jesus to learn these scriptures, to learn these stories? I wonder if he sat on his dad's lap, and I wonder if Joseph read him stories, or if he heard the stories from his grandparents. Let me tell you about Noah. Let me tell you about the story of creation. Let me tell you the story about Jacob, Isaac, Joseph. And I wonder if those stories got into Jesus' heart. Now, we know that Jesus is fully God, but Jesus was fully human too. And we read in our Bibles that Jesus had to grow in his understanding. So he had to learn. He had to read these stories. And friends, we know that these stories were important to Jesus because Jesus refers to these stories. Now notice, I didn't say Jesus quotes these stories. I think Jesus quotes these stories once. But more than likely, more often than not, Jesus would refer to these stories. Now there's a difference. I don't think Jesus was referring to Genesis to to prove that it was literal or that it really happened. I think Jesus was using Genesis It was part of who Jesus was, and I totally believe that Jesus had that whole book memorized, and that Jesus would say, remember, remember the story you're part of? Remember the heritage? Remember the God of that story? And Jesus would point back all the way to the beginning as if he wanted to center us in the story of Genesis. And friends, you have spent four weeks in this story, and I hope that it has been a rich experience for you. Because, you see, Genesis does two things for us. It does many things, but the one thing Genesis does is it helps us understand Who God is. You see, this is the first thing. This is the introduction. And we get right off the bat, out of the chaos, God brought order. And that order was good. God created. And it was good. And for six days, there was order. It's like a hymn. It's like those six days were verses And the chorus was, and God saw all that God had made, and it was good. And on the sixth day, God looked back and said, it was very good. So God is a God of order, a God who loves to create, who loves creativity. But friends, it's also a God who gives us a choice. And we read in the garden that Adam and Eve made a choice. They wanted what they couldn't have. Sounds familiar, right? 
And so God said, oh, the relationship is broken. But I'm not going to give up on my people. There's a plan. And God started to put in place a plan. So that relationship would not be broken. And we see that God is compassionate. And God is forgiving. Pastor George helped us to see that God is, God is ruler and king, but God is also friend. And God says, eternity without you is not an option. In Genesis, we see God communing with God's people, having conversations, wrestling together. And we even see God changing God's mind. Ah, I hear you. I hear you. In Genesis, we see that God is a God of promises. You see, God made a promise to Noah. The promise after the world or the picture that we get is that the world was destroyed. And God says, Noah, build a boat. And God says to Noah afterwards, when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the offering that Noah gave to God, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man, neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. God is a God of promises. And then we read the story, we read the story of Abraham, and God makes another promise. God says to Abraham, I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. In you, all the families of earth shall be blessed. And God promises Abraham that God will be Abraham's God, and that out of Abraham's family will come a, a, a king, a, a redeemer, a savior who will fix the relationship. But God also promises land and, and people. And then this one is fascinating to me. God promises Abraham Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. God gave Abraham a promise. Now I wonder if Abraham was like, what? <laughs> I wonder if Abraham said to Isaac one night sitting around a fire, you have to listen close because God gave me a promise. And I wonder if generation after generation they repeated those promises. Let me tell you the story. It's interesting because this week you get to start to read a big story. The background for almost everything 
And this promise comes into play, right? Well, Genesis helps us see who God is, but it's not only that. It helps us to see who we are called to be in this world. You see, God is at work in this world, and God says, I want you to be part of it. I want to invite you into what I am doing. And that's the story of Genesis. I invite you, Abraham, to move from your land into a different land. I invite you, Noah. I invite you, Abraham, Isaac, to step into what God is doing in the world. And friends, that invitation is still there for us today. But right from the start, once again, we read, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Friends, I love the word image. In Hebrew, the word is tselem, T-S-E-L-E-M. And it's the same word that Nebuchadnezzar uses later in the Bible to say, okay, I want you to put a gold statue of me in the land so that when I am not there, the people see that, and that is my physical image in that place. So do you see what God just did? God just says, you are my image. You are my image bearers in this world. Friends, we can't see God. We can, but we can't. But God says, you know what? The world can see you. So this is your job. This is your mission. Join with me on this mission. Show the world what I am like by the way you treat one another, by the way you love one another, by the way you serve one another. You will be my image in the world. And then let's go back to Abraham. I will make you a great nation. There's the promise. And I will bless you and make your name great. But here's the identity, right? So that you will be a blessing. In you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Can you imagine that? Now, thank goodness Paul helps us understand that we are part of this story. These are our ancestors. Maybe not blood ancestors, but these are our ancestors in the faith. We stand on their shoulders. And God says, you will be a blessing to all people. How are we doing? You see, in Genesis, the power of Genesis, God says, this is who I am and this is who you are. And friends, the rest of the book is God's people trying to live into this and doing well sometimes and totally failing other times. But God says, okay, I'll give you another chance. Let's do this together. Friends, sometimes I think, and hopefully Your experience with Immerse has changed your vision of how we should read the Bible. You see, we often read the Bible by ourselves. And so when we read verses like this, we read so that you, and I think me, that I'll be a blessing. And the whole point of Immerse is to read big, yes, to get the whole story, but then to read it together. 
to see that it's not you. It's you. It's you all. You see, Genesis is a family book. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. It was told around campfires, outside of the Bedouin tent. At the end of the day, Grandma, Grandpa, come and tell me, tell me a story. What was God like? Or what is God like? Tell, tell me about what you know about Abraham. And the stories were told over and over and over again. You see, Genesis is a collection of family stories that shape our idea of who God is and who we are called to be. Here's a quote from Psychology Today. It says, listening to other stories helps us tell our own stories in a new way, in new ways. Storytelling is one of the pillars of building a meaningful life because stories are, at heart, about meaning and connection. Family storytelling weaves lives of connection, meaning, and purpose. When you tell a story, you realize you're part of something way bigger than you ever imagine. You start to realize that there's much greater purpose than, than just what you bring. Because you see, when you stop telling stories, when you stop realizing that I'm part of something much bigger than me, friends, then the story becomes about you. And it's all about you. What is it that I want? What is it that I have to have happen? And we forget. Let me read to you the last few verses in Genesis. And George helped us last week walk through this story. You remember this story. Joseph's brothers were jealous. They sold him into slavery. Joseph heads down to Egypt. God has a plan. Joseph becomes second in command. He invites his brothers back. And the whole family ends up coming to Egypt to, to live. And it's fascinating to me, and we'll see how much time we have, but it's fascinating to me because we pick up this story, Jacob dies, Joseph's dad dies, and Jacob says, I want to be buried with my family, with Abraham and Isaac. And so they bring his bones back up to a place called Hebron. This was a, a piece of land. There was a cave on this piece of land that Abraham bought. And they were buried together. And so what I'm going to read to you comes on the heels of Joseph and his brothers going up to bury their father. Now Hebron is on the south end of what they call the Patriarch Road. This is one of the main travelways through Israel, north and south. It's part of the story. So let me read to you. After he had buried his father, Joseph returned to Egypt with his brothers and all who had gone up with him to bury his father. 
When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, please forgive their transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for I am in the place of, am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. To bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. You see, Joseph was connected to God, right? So do not fear, I will provide for you and your little ones. I love that. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. So Joseph remained in Egypt. He and his father's house, Joseph lived 110 years. And Joseph saw Ephraim's children of the third generation. The children also of Machir, the son of Manasseh, were counted as Joseph's own. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die. But God will visit you and bring you up out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Interesting, isn't it? There's the promise. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. So Joseph died, being 110 years old. They embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. Interesting. Let me just keep reading. These are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob, each with his household. You have Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, Benjamin, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. All the descendants of Jacob were 70 persons. Joseph was already in Egypt. Then Joseph died, and all his brothers, and all that generation. But the people of Israel were fruitful and it increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong, so that the land was filled with them. And then get this, now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. Isn't that interesting? So Joseph and his brothers, they, they die one generation, and then another generation, and then another generation. And the Israelites spent about 400 years in Egypt, and they get to the point where they forget Joseph. Did they stop telling story? Did they stop realizing that they were part of something much bigger? Now, if you listen to the text, it doesn't say the Israelites forgot Joseph. It says the Egyptians forgot Joseph. They stopped telling the story. But I find it interesting that it only takes two more pages, one page flip, 
and we read that the Israelites cried out. But to who? Our Bibles tell us that it, they, they cried out. To who did they cry out to? I don't know. Did they forget the story? Well, bless God that God hears because God heard their cry and God chose a partner. These Israelites have spent too much time in Egypt. They needed to be reminded once again of where they came from and who they were and what God was like. But to be fair, I think some of the Israelites kept telling the story. Because you see, Joseph says to them, God will surely visit you and you shall carry up my bones from here. So they embalmed Joseph. He was number two in command. Let me show you a picture. This is Howard Carter. And Howard Carter discovered the tomb of King Tut, Tutankhamun, Tutankhamun, and this is what King Tut's tomb looked like. They embalmed King Tut, and they put him in this gold sarcophagus. Well, what they found was that this gold sarcophagus was in a box, and the box was filled with gold. Now, this is a replica in the tomb. It's the actual tomb, but this is a replica. Here's a picture of what it was. This is in the Egyptian museum. Made of stone, but gold on the inside. And what they found in the tomb was they found this, that it was actually box upon box upon box of gold-covered boxes. Here is a picture of the final nesting box that all of this stuff was found in. You can see how big the box is. Do you see the person behind it? Now, we don't know what they did for Joseph. We don't. We don't. The Bible doesn't tell us. But if Joseph was second in charge in all of Egypt, and then Joseph says, hey, Israelites, take my bones with you. Can you imagine? Who's going to carry this? Which tribe? Okay, everyone raise your hands. Which tribe wants the bones of Joseph? But we know they did it. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for Joseph had made the Israelites solemnly swear to do it, saying, God will surely hold you accountable, so make sure you bring my bones from here with you. They moved on from Sukkot and then camped at Etham at the edge of the wilderness. Okay, guys, here we go. We're moving again. That pillar of cloud, okay, it's moving. Okay, let's grab our stuff. Okay, you guys grab the bones of Joseph. Right? What must that have been like to carry that through the desert for 40 years? And my question is, why? Why did Joseph tell them, carry my bones through 
the wilderness. Well, they made it. As for the bones of Joseph, which people of Israel brought up from Egypt, they buried them at Shechem in the piece of land that Jacob bought from the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem, for a hundred pieces of money. This is a picture of Shechem, Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim. It's the place where, where on one side the Israelites shouted curses and on the other side they shouted the blessings. This is also the first place that God showed up to Abraham and made those promises to Abraham. This is a place that Jacob bought land. And this is the place where they buried Joseph. Now here's the tomb, the proposed tomb. This is what it looks like today. Why did Joseph say, carry my bones through a desert land, up mountains, through desert passes? Imagine you're a grandma or a grandpa. And your grandson or granddaughter who was born in the desert. They've never seen Egypt. They didn't walk through the Red Sea. They did not see the ten plagues. They did not see any of it. And they're wondering, why do I have to keep walking in this desert? And as I'm walking, I'm tired, I'm hungry. And look, there's that big box again. Grandma, what is it? And I wonder if Grandma said, let me tell you a story. Let me tell you about a God who is faithful. About a God who keeps God's promises. Let me tell you. Let me remind you who you are and who God is. Never forget. Christ Memorial Church. We serve a God who keeps God's promises. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Remember that. You see, this story would be told for generations to generations because look at what we find in Hebrews. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. That was attributed to Joseph and his faith. But check this out. I love this picture. Do you see where Shechem is? That's where Joseph was buried. On the northern side of the patriarch route. Do you see right now that story, the Genesis story, bookends that road? So can you imagine you're a traveler going down the road? What is that? Oh, that's, that's, let me tell you about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then you get to the end of the road. Let me tell you about Joseph. And you have the whole story of how faithful God is. It's a picture. Friends, we sit here today on Grafskup Road. This is a testimony 
to how faithful God is. What story will people tell when they pass this building? What will our testimony be? What story will we tell? You see, we have a responsibility to tell the story, but we also have a responsibility to make this a place where generation after generation after generation can hear the story. Will there be people to listen to the story once we are gone. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.